As Stephanie said, my name is Reverend Paul Maletic, and it is so good to be with you this morning. Uh, often this, this service after, whether it's Easter or Christmas, often can be uh, kind of unofficially deemed the associate pastor preaching Sunday. So just know whatever holiday might or might not be proceeding, I'm always excited to be in with y'all and join y'all in worship. So uh, there is this feeling that I believe stretches across our human experience, that moment when you realize that you have lost something. Most of the time, it's something important, something time-sensitive, even maybe sentimental, that causes a sense of loss and compounds and then propels us into this frantic surge, panicked, maybe lost keys, a lost receipt or bill, I know for me, I have this beloved orange beanie that I just have had for so long, and it doesn't even make sense, just the amount of like dread and worry when I'm just like, it's not in the right pocket. Where is it? Where could it be? And just something about that awful feeling of knowing you're missing something, something's out of place. Of course, this sense grows dramatically. If maybe that thing you're missing is a, a person or a child. I, I won't make y'all raise your hands, but of who has experienced that moment where you didn't know where your child was? I know I'm not a parent, but I like to think as a longtime youth worker, I can at least identify with this moment of terror that a parent can have. Especially when it's an actual person, it's one of the worst feelings in the world. The sudden realization that you have a student you thought you knew was right there, and then you have no idea where they might be. There's one particular time I remember being pretty scared. It was a few years back on a retreat to Sky Ranch, a youth weekend retreat, a pretty standard affair in the life of youth ministry. The youth group goes off for a fun weekend of fun, fellowship, worship, small groups. We sleep in cabins. And of course, the other part is, you know, parents entrust me with their children. You know, it's always a little scary. And of course, also the other youth staff and volunteers, everyone else there helping support. But it's hard not to take that responsibility personally. And sometimes we have these younger students, maybe it's their first time to be away from their parents or even away for an extended number of days. But on this particular retreat, it was Saturday mid-morning. We had just had a great time of worship in the morning. And we had a little extra time. And so if you've ever been to Sky Ranch, one of the great things is all the activity areas they have everywhere. And they have one particular spot that's this large uh, kind of air-filled trampoline, uh, lovingly called, at least I call it, jumping pillow. Um, and it's probably about like half the size of this room. It's pretty large, it's big kind of trampoline mound. And it's easy, just an easy win. If you have a little bit of extra time, just say, yes, go, go play, go bounce, be free. And so the trick was after we, we had that extra free time, we moved to our time of small groups, you know, where we talk about our theme and our Bible and where's all that. I was in with my group I was with for the weekend, and about 10 minutes in, I got the text. We don't have Christine. At least we'll, we'll call her Christine. 
Uh, I left that group with the other adults. I went with, to the other leader that was missing her, and we proceeded to search. And probably need to also share this happened a few years back in the space. Not every student had a cell phone. Otherwise, we might just reach out and find that number, text, call that student. Where are you? Get back here. So we're searching. The first place we look, right, we went to that bouncy pillow. No luck. No one there. We went out, asked the other leaders, checked the groups. Maybe they went, she went with them and was in a, the wrong group hanging out with someone. No luck. We looked to the other activity areas. We went to the cabin. Nowhere to be found. And I'm pretty calm most of the time as a, a leader, but I was starting to get panicked. She was a younger high school student, so my mind started drifting to, to all the places I, I don't like thinking about as a youth minister, all the dangerous and reckless activities students sometimes engage in that aren't not good. We always have to have this healthy dose of potential reality amidst our hopeful outlook of students being, you know, the good church kids. But here I was left with these dwindling options, wondering where on earth was she? What on earth was she doing? And if I didn't find her soon, it was about to be a conversation with her parents that I didn't want to have. And we, we came back to the main building. We were looking, searching the bathrooms, futilely looking. And it was in the hallway we met um, one of the other adult leaders from a different church that was sharing that part of the building with us and they must have just seen the look of sheer terror and just volatile despair in my eyes one so they reached out what what are you doing can we help and i shared my mission described the student that you know if we did find her she might not be that long for this world and um they just casually responded oh yeah we saw her go with our students into our time of worship right here it's going on right now you you can go in there and join them and I'm not sure, uh, yeah, I'm not sure why they, yeah, that's all there. But we <laughs> saw her go, we went in, and of course, it was kind of like this. The lights were you know, dark and flashing, loud music, and there, there was Christine. She apparently had made friends and just naturally went with them to worship and learn more about God. And I still don't know why those other leaders let her in and just were comfortable with it, but that's... Uh, around for another time but needs to say all the awful troublesome activities that I imagine Christine stumbling and doing worshiping God was was not on that list and so my preceding conversation with Christine about what she did why it can't happen again and how much stress she caused the adults and, and me in particular um, it had this weird balance of also the choice that she made that was a good one about how, worshiping God in this different worship experience. And so I, I wouldn't want to replicate that feeling of loss, of helpless searching for anyone. When you're in it, it just seems to go forever. The time moves at these weird, odd intervals the worry and fear, the worst case scenarios take over. Perhaps there's some parents in here who know this feeling too. Maybe some have experienced a surprise discovery when their child is found in unlikely places. 
maybe you've seen this coming, but it gets us to today's scripture lesson. In the Gospel of Luke, we quickly go from Jesus being born to eight days later, Jesus being presented to, at the temple. And then to our reading today, a 12-year-old Jesus whose parents lose track of him. So as we read, I want to encourage any parents out there or others who have been entrusted with youth and subsequently lost them on occasion. Even the blessed mother and father of Jesus have been where we are. So I invite you to listen for the word of God from the Gospel of Luke. Each year, his parents, Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to their custom. After the festival was over, they were returning home, but the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. Supposing that he was among their band of travelers, they journeyed for a full day while looking for him among their family and friends. When they didn't find Jesus, they returned to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple. He was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and putting questions to them. Everyone who heard them was amazed by his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were shocked. His mother said, child, why have you treated us like this? Listen, your father and I have been worried. We've been looking for you. Jesus replied, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he said to them. Jesus went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. His mother cherished every word in her heart. Jesus matured in wisdom and years and in favor with God and with people. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So there you go. Here we have it. We got teenage Jesus. This is all we get in the Bible about Jesus growing up through those teenage years. There's some extra canonical texts that try to fill in the gaps but if you ever dig them out and read them, they're not in the Bible, they're in other things, but there's a reason they didn't make our text here. Obviously, I can quickly relate to Mary, finally pulling Jesus aside and saying, child, why are you treating us like this? We've been worried, we've been looking for you. But how quickly everything shifts with Jesus's reply. Of course, I'd be about my father's business. Just because Jesus was young and not quite ready for his adult ministry did not mean that Jesus had nothing to give or share with the temple teachers. This sentiment alone could be grounds for a whole other sermon about how we see and allow God to work in our children and youth. For me, though, I'm always drawn to the ending of the passage. Jesus follows his parents back home and as the bible simply states was obedient to them it's such a simple statement and i'm somehow convinced i don't think raising the son of god in your house would be that simple that or the flip right if you're jesus 
and from his percep percep perception, being raised by imperfect humans would be quite a challenge. Even ones as faithful and faith-filled as Mary and Joseph are from our Bible accounts, Jesus as fully God and fully human was obedient to them. I know I have enough time when I think I know I'm right, not just butting in and letting everyone know it. I can't imagine Jesus who was right and was good in every way, just rolling with the punches as he was parented by normal people like us. And through this time, Mary cherishes every word in her heart. This just feels like such a natural extension of who Mary is and how Mary experiences not just her son, but her son who is the Christ. She says something similar when she first is, hears about being pregnant from an angel. She, she does have a few very good questions about how is this supposed to work first, but then she simply replies, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. She takes it all in. She, and she seems to just hold it ready for God to make use of. She's there cherishing it all while Jesus matures in wisdom and years. And I love how this is broken down at the end of our scripture. Wisdom for Jesus means growing in favor with God and with people. It's no surprise then and later we hear from grown-up Jesus telling us that every commandment can be boiled down into loving God and loving people. Personally, I'm always drawn to this concept of wisdom. You can say I work in a space where my goal is, is trying to journey alongside students to create wisdom. We know students change, right, as they go from sixth grade to 12th grade. Boy, do they change. <laughs> and change is guaranteed. But as a church, we want to be part of creating wisdom in them as a part of that change. But there's this flip, I think the secret is that as we journey alongside children and youth, trying to teach them impart wisdom, something flips. And they help teach and inspire wisdom in us too. I think wisdom needfully has a place in all of our lives, in our Christian journeys. And here on the last Sunday of the year, 2021, it's naturally a place of reflection. How can we continue to create wisdom in ourselves? How can we open ourselves to the wisdom God has for us to take in, waiting for us? Like Mary, how can we cherish every word? How can we create space in our hearts for God to do what God does best? There is something that happens when we take time to truly treasure something that has been infused with God and God's presence. God work starts when we take that moment to cherish the holy. The space we create later can be used to bring insight and wisdom. And as a result of that space, that fertile ground 
is, the, is laying work for God to work in us and through us. So what do we need to cherish from God in order to love God better? What do we need to cherish from God in order to love people better? Especially as we come to the, the end of our Advent season, it's so easy to do good, think about good, respond in wonderful ways. But how do we cherish wisdom that takes us into the new year? All this talk of teenage Jesus and the process of growing in wisdom and stature, for some reason, brings me back to some of my own journeys growing up. Most of you might not know that I play cello, and I've played cello since I was a sixth grade student. Uh, my mom was a middle school and high school orchestra director. Actually, my mom's here with us today. Um, but uh, so growing up, the question was never, Will, what instrument do you want to play, Paul? The question was, uh, what, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to play? So I, I picked the cello. And going to lessons and times of practicing, both, you know, you have these big groups and these individual times just became part of my experience growing up. Practicing my cello became a part of the weekly chores I had every week. And unlike the times when you're with everyone in a large group, there just was something not as exciting to me when I had to practice by myself. The times I did practice for me, it was this very cut and dry thing. The mechanics, the movement of playing the cello became the focus. For myself as a young musician, I think it was kind of this mix of aerobics and time savings. In my head, practicing meant literally playing through every note of the music, going through the motions, playing it all. Literally, if I just touched my finger on the strings and played every note, I was done practicing. I did it, right? And I could then go on to all the other exciting things, you know, more exciting than just sitting by myself practicing. The trouble is, right, that doesn't translate into good music. The intonation, the effects of the sound of each note is such a huge part of making music especially with a string instrument, just swiping the bow and having your fingers in the right place doesn't translate to what the composer or the music intends. There takes this precision, this intentionality, the emotion that goes into making beautiful music. There's something even when you play a stringed instrument called vibrato, where you, you move your hand and it brings this warmth and energy into the music. It's not just the mere mechanics of it. And thankfully, as I've continued to play, I like to think I've learned how to get beyond the form and function of merely playing into slowly learning more and more how to use the instrument to create music people want to hear. And for me, this connects to this idea of cherishing every word. There's an intention I had to learn in making music it was more than just the perfunctory going through the motions. Even though, right, going through the motions robotically, haphazardly as it was, still have its benefits. The more I played my cello, the more I was, felt natural about it. And over the years, I didn't always have to think about the technique and the posture. 
Mind you, I'm not a professional cellist, so I'm sure there's much about my technique and posture that can continue to learn and grow. But the wisdom of years and the continued act of making music, even occasionally listening to the advice of my teachers, even being around other musicians, all have helped me become a better musician. I believe it's the same for our Christian faith. How are we putting ourselves in places to learn more about being in favor with God and with people? Sometimes it's easy to feel that we, we, we're, we're lost or searching just like Jesus in our story. Easy to feel that we've lost hold of belief, maybe have no idea where to start looking for the faith that we thought was right there beside us. But like the model of Jesus' early life, we need to create space to cherish and take in what is holy. We need to practice loving God and loving others, taking advantage of times we are given to go through the motions, through the technique, and then giving ourselves time to see and experience the holy. Experience the work that God is doing right in front of us that without that intentionality we could so easily miss. What word from God is right before you that just needs time and intention in order to blossom into godly wisdom and insight? This is something that God, through the Holy Spirit, gifts each of us in a particular way. And I pray we all take the needed time to find and ponder this in our hearts. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.